Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. We're talking about long-term player value in Dynasty football. We've got a special guest. Katie Flower is here as the co-host. I am Chad Parsons, the official podcast of UTHDynasty.com. But we have Ray GQ off of Twitter. You know him off of Destination Devi. He created it as well as All Gas. I love that name uh, over there at Patreon. So we're going to be talking about a variety of subjects here. I've been following Ray for quite a while on Twitter. Love his takes, love his passion. And he's going to be here dropping some knowledge with us this week as we approach episode 500 uh, for you. Uh, so Ray, great to have you aboard and we've got some rapid fire questions, but really happy to have you. We've got Katie on board. We've got the, the full, full treatment here for you. So we can talk Devi dynasty, et cetera. No, I, I appreciate it. And, and one thing that I just want to say to you two is uh, when I first started to get into this dynasty fantasy space, this show was one of the ones that I listened to. It was during the year that David Montgomery was coming out. So it was the Montgomery Kyler Murray class. And I remember driving into work on, I, on 24 highway and listening to you guys on, on, on the podcast. So you guys, honestly, and I'm not just saying that, were one of my inspirations for even like jumping into trying to do this. So it's, it's pretty cool to be here right now. Thanks. Uh, yeah, appreciate that. Talking Dynasty and Devi and, and prospects. I mean, it seems like it's been so many years now. It's it's hard to imagine it, you know, not being, you know, recording shows, talking about rookie draft strategy and then the offseason and all this player value movement with Katie um, as well. So we've got a bunch of questions here. We start out with a, a softball. So this is level one of a video game. We've got what rookie pick does Jacoby Myers have in terms of his value? <laughs> Uh, the last, the absolute last one that you have. Yeah. What's the last pick? And then maybe yeah. a waiver dollars. So we get some waiver there dollars. You go. Out of them. All right. Now this is going to be level two. We've got uh, next big Debbie running back to be on the lookout for. This is open-ended, my friend. <sighs> to be on the lookout for, I can't use Tank Bigsby or B. John Robinson. No. They've already been looked out. But I think a player who's been overlooked at the running back position uh, who I don't even know if he was going to start this year had Marshawn Lloyd not gotten hurt early, but Kevin Harris out of South Carolina is phenomenal and not enough people are talking about him as one of the best running backs in Debbie. You, you hear about Bijan and Tank Bigsby, but Kevin Harris, outstanding uh, running back for South Carolina. Silent assassin. Yeah. I mean, what are we looking for? A big guy that can move productive SEC. I don't know. I think he checks. Yep. Yep. Quick count, all of those. All right, uh, we've got wh who is his deep sleeper wide receiver he will have the most stock in this year. So let's, uh, let's assume it's late second round of rookie drafts, third round, fourth round. Who's that guy right now that you're like, if he stays there or if he goes there, this is my guy? I want to say Jalen Darden because I had kind of known about him for a while, but he seems to be picking up a ton of steam right now. But I still have a lot of interest in Anthony Schwartz, the, the wide receiver out of Auburn. If I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss fast. I understand he is not a refi refined route runner. He's not a complete wide receiver in any, any sense of the word. But what he is is literally a world-class sprinter, like legitimate Olympic speed at the wide receiver position. So uh, he's one of those players after the second round, if I'm mid to late third, early fourth round, if Anthony Schwartz is sitting there, why not take a shot on going fast? There you That's go. one of the great things about dynasty, especially rookie drafts, right? Is you can get a gem late, but it doesn't cost you. The risk isn't there. So take a shot. I love that. All gas, miss fast. <laughs> That's almost like if you're not first, you're last. There's yeah. a cougar in the car. All right. Uh, <laughs> who is the most overrated player in this draft class? Chad, this is not, this is what level one question. This one is so hard, man. Oh, um, I, I think, I know I'm about to upset the, upset the world, but I think Zach Wilson is probably my most overrated player. 
uh, just because now I, I'm seeing stuff and to each his own, you know, some people have him truly have missed quarterback one and that's fine. But I'm seeing him as quarterback one. He's head and shoulders above Justin Fields. He's the second coming of Aaron Rodgers slash Patrick Mahomes. I just don't see it. I'm not I'm not buying it. I think he's a fine player. I think he's a first round pick in the NFL draft and I think he's going to have first round draft capital in super flex leagues, but I, I just, I think the hype is completely outwarranted the play in my opinion. Yeah. If anything, right. Well, quarterback two through four or so, you know, be a little more agnostic, right? Know that four or five guys in this class that are relevant, a couple of them are probably going to bust. Right. And to think that you have the hubris to sharpshoot, say who's going the cheapest. You know, you talked already about arbitrage and if someone's going late, you know, you can take a big swing and, and, and there's not as much pressure on that pick. But uh, but big risk, you know, for the for the NFL to get it right this year among those top four, especially uh, this might be a pointed question. So they might know something that that I or we don't. Why Devonta over Jamar? <laughs> All right. The reality is, I honestly have this uh, in my rankings. It says Devonta Smith one, Jamar Chase one. I can't put them at the same line, but they're there. To me, it's just honestly, I just want to see they're so. They're so great, in my opinion. They're they're equally fantastic. So I just personally, I know this isn't the best way to do it, but I just want to see where they land. I want to see where Smith gets drafted, and I want to see where Chase gets drafted. I like both players equally. Um, I have been an open, avid Devonta Smith truther just because I think some of the criticism that he takes uh, is, I don't want to use the word unfair, but I just think it's a lot of whatever Bama bias, uh, LSU love because of what they did, how great. And I do believe Justin Jefferson's success in the NFL this past year, it plays in the mind of everybody who's thinking about Jamar Chase, right? If Justin Jefferson was that great, how good could Jamar Chase be? Uh, That to me is a completely flawed statement, but neither here nor there. Uh, But I think that love for Chase is just unfairly knocked Devonta Smith. I think he's an outstanding, incredible wide receiver. So uh, that's why I have him over Chase. But literally those dudes are 1A, 1A. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, that's why tiers are so important for the description and the presentation of rankings because tiers now tell you, you know, operate within those tier lines, right? So I'm sure right now, if you could get one of them cheaper than the other, that's probably going to be who you're going to take if you got one pick, you know, instead of trading up for the other, stay there, take the other one, uh, which again, is it's very prudent and very important in uh, rookie drafting, especially. Does Ezekiel Elliott's value increase post Dak Prescott signing? Sure, I guess. For me, not really, but I've seen a lot of people say that. I mean, he was already how? I mean, did we not think Zach was coming? Dak was coming back. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I just was always under the belief that there was. I mean, he's there. He wasn't going anywhere. I said that from the very beginning. They're going to find a way to get something done. So no, his value. His value is the same for me. I mean, but. If I can sell him for more now because you think his value is higher than great, but in my opinion, no, no. Yeah. And the big thing was going to be franchise tag or long-term deal. And neither one of those things really affected, you know, a, a soon to be 26 year old Ezekiel Elliott for 2021, you know, which is a mid career running back. Their biggest value is what's right in front of them this season, you know, in that one big year that can, that can offset a lot of that is taking Kyle Pitts at one Oh six in a super flex tight end premium draft. Crazy. Okay, you you said tight end premium at the end, so I'd say yep. probably not. No, not in tight end premium. I thought you were going to stop at Superflex, and I was going to say, yeah, that's <sighs> he's great, man. I love him, but I also like Pat Fryermuth and Brevin Jordan and Hunter Long and Kenny Uboa. So, yes, I would love Kyle Pitts, but if I have to spend the one hundred six on him outside of tight end premium. Tight end premium, I'm fine, but in regular super flex, and I know I'm changing the question, uh, I'd rather take uh, a running back or a wide receiver there and then end up with Pat Fryermuth. I'd rather that combination opposed to Kyle Pitts and Tylen Wallace. That's just me personally, so I'd take the value later. Uh, and a rising player, this next question, where do you rank Mac Jones out of the quarterbacks in the 21 rookie draft class? Is he closer to the big four or is he QB, beyond? He's QB4. He's four, he's four over. I've, 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 been, I've been on the Mac Jones since October of this season. I, I was not a big, huge believer coming into the season, but I, I've said it multiple times. What else could we have asked for from Mac Jones in 2020? He literally played 
a perfect season. I mean, they, it outside of a couple of interceptions, setting the completion percentage record, quarterback rating record in one fewer game than Tua did, the most 400-yard performances in Alabama school history, and he did that all in this season. What's what's not to like about Mac Jones? I, I don't I don't under I I get the dual threat capability of the quarterback. Get it. Understand it for scoring fantasy points. But when you're just talking about a quarterback prospect, I, I just don't understand. I think it's the fact that he was a three-star recruit. He's built horribly. He's got a, the daddiest of dad bods. He doesn't look like this uber athlete. And I think a lot of that just, again, negatively knocks a player that I think is an outstanding quarterback prospect. He's QB4 for me. And, who is and Ray, five? just as a little side note, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, all three stars. So it really, the, the five star, three star, doesn't matter at quarterback in the NFL. Yep. Yeah. Be yep. a star. We've, we've seen a number of five star guys can't miss and then they miss horrifically. And we've even seen, you know, top five picks in the NFL draft uh, turn into major albatrosses around the franchise neck. And it seems like Mac Jones is rising. You know, he was sort of like maybe he's a fringe first rounder. Now, a lot of times top 15, top 20, or even top 10 of mock drafts. Um, so yeah, that's a key factor. I will say fantasy, you know, you want a little bit of rushing production. He probably needs to be an elite passer. But what you're saying is that's within the range of outcomes. He could be an elite passer. He could be one of the best passers of this class. Um, and and But, you know, fantasy number-wise, he's probably going to need to do that as not one of those traditional runners and you know 100 150 yards might be the max you know he gets in a in a season that's just not going to be his game what would you buy and sell aj dillon uh for in your leagues where's that line for you ray i'm not i'm not paying more than a, a rookie second like that's it i'm not giving you a rookie first a 2021 first rounder for aj dillon uh, i wasn't the biggest aj dillon fan Coming out of Boston College, he showed well in his limited opportunities for the Packers. I'll tell you that. He, he impressed me more in his limited opportunities with Green Bay than I re really ever saw at Boston College. Um, but I'm still probably not ready to give up a first rounder for him. Um, a second, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Anywhere in the, in the second round, if it's 201, 202, depends on who fell to the 201. But 202 and beyond, I'd be fine with giving that up for Dylan. So you're so you're trailing the market on him, which means you're probably not going to get many shares. I, I doubt many people would sell for a second at this point or during their rookie drafts. So would this be a you'll kind of come around if he were the starter week one, he starts building upon the things he showed last year. You can get closer to consensus. Is that sort of a roadmap on where you might be in September, October? So consensus is a first rounder for AJ Dillon. Oh, I think it's you're going to have. I mean, <laughs> more. You think more? Uh, well, I mean, it depends where in the round I did. A, I did a poll that said, uh, you know, where would he rank among the running backs? So maybe this will clarify it. So where would he rank for you within the running backs? Uh, I put that out, um, previously and it was about 47% had him as running back four or beyond. So that would be the, you know, the consensus three would be Najee Harris, Travis Etienne and, and Devon, uh, Javante Williams in some capacity, only about 25% had him as running back one or two of that class. You know, so you fill in the rest with the, with the third uh, qualifier there. So, you know, the first two running backs are probably going to go what top four or five in rookie drafts, Javante Williams, some point after that you would expect. Um, so it seems like, about 50% would probably have him ahead of Javante Williams or, or right there with Javante Williams. So how does that sit yeah. with you? Uh, RB4 is fine. I mean, I'd have him over my RB5, um, but depends on the format. I still don't know if that's a first-round pick. Depends on the if it's super flex. I don't, I don't think RB4 fits in that top 12. So uh, it, right now in the way that I envision the first round playing out, I'm not giving up a first for him. So if that doesn't, if that doesn't get it done, I'll give you a second and maybe something in 2022. I'm not giving up a first for him right now. Okay. What was your coming out of Boston college? What was your biggest concern with him? I just didn't think he, I, I knew he was straight line speed. I knew he had burst, but he never played like he weighed 250 pounds at BC. Yeah. He had that play where he stiff armed the guy from Louisville down to oblivion. But outside of that, I saw him get popped and get dropped on first contact. And at that size, if you're doing that in the ACC and he wasn't a very wiggly guy, he doesn't have a ton of lateral agility. He's not, he's not like running in mud, but that's just not his game, right? He's a north-south runner. So if you're that big, you're not playing that physical, 
limited work in the receiving game until his final season, I believe. I don't have his stats pulled up in front of me, but just he was just a north-south runner. What else is there? You know, that, that was my knock on him. It wasn't really a knock. That's just a player that he is, and that wasn't a player that I was really into. And did you see some, you know, small sample size alert here, uh, some improvement to that, you know, when he had, yeah. especially having had 20 plus carries that one game for Green Bay down the stretch? Yeah, I said, I, I, you know, he looked, I was like, wow, he looks, he looks pretty damn good. You know, I was, I was impressed with him with limited opportunities. So while the arrow is definitely pointed up, I'm not saying that right now today, I'm not trading Rashad Bateman or, what Rondell Moore could be for AJ Dillon right now. I'm just, I'm not there. That's a professional segue from Ray and he doesn't even know what's coming next. The next question is expectations for Rondell Moore in the NFL. I think his ceiling I've for the past two years, I've said he reminds me of uh, uh, Steve Smith. Um, and I know Steve Smith played the X receiver and he was dominant on the outside. I don't believe Rondell Moore will do that, but just a player of his athleticism, his skill set, what he can do in the slot. I think that the stigma in the idea that slot receivers can't be dominant fantasy assets is starting to fade as we see more and more players take to the slot, even the bigger wide receivers, Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, I think Rondell Moore could be a top 10 wide receiver very, very quickly, depending on how he's deployed you know, depending on the offensive coordinator and if they utilize him to a skill set. But he's a yak monster. He's physical. He's fast. And then if you play in leagues where you get punt or kick return touchdowns, you know, fantasy points for that, he may give you one or two of those a season as well. He's just he's just a dynamic player. I think he's got serious Pro Bowl caliber seasons ahead. Referencing Ray, is he common or Takashi tonight? Who's Takashi? Did I say that right? <laughs> Next question. Next question. All right, we got one Next more. Next question. Kadarius <laughs> Tony or Jerry Judy? Jerry Judy. Okay, because Jerry Judy has a lot of ire right now. A lot of people are bailing on him for a late first. Uh, they don't like what they saw last year. Um, I'm not saying I'm in this camp, but you know, you're bailing on a first round wide receiver that was a really good metric prospect. And after the first year where Denver, what did they really have going on? I mean, Drew Locke is an albatross, not an answer in my opinion, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of moving pieces there, but a lot of people are bailing on Judy for less than they paid a year ago. I'm telling you some dynasty leagues are some of the easiest leagues to win. They, they're really Depending on who you're playing with, there's some of the easiest leagues to win. I'm telling you, I, I'd be racking up. I'd be selling my A.J. Dillon for firsts. I'd be acquiring Jerry Judy for, for Kadarius Tony. I mean, this is – he had – what did he have, 900 receiving yards last year as a rookie or close to it, playing with four different court, – one quarterback didn't – he was a wide receiver on the practice squad. Drew Locke stunk. I believe they had Ripian play a little. I think they had four quarterbacks play last year, and we're knocking a almost 1,000-yard rookie wide receiver when up until this season, the narrative for the past five years that I've been involved in this is it takes rookie wide receivers some time to get acclimated. Don't worry about year one production. Now we've been spoiled by Justin Jefferson and spoiled by some of these wide receivers that we think every wide receiver that comes in is supposed to catch for 1,300 yards in year one. Like... Some leagues are so easy to win in Dynasty. It's just easy. It's funny because the career arc for wide receivers, like to find the peak season, it really is like 24 to 28 or 9. And I think people forget that, that sometimes, you know, Cooper Cup, he came in 23, 24 years old. He was ready to go. 21-year-olds that come in, it's about the promise of what they're going to develop into because a lot of 21-year-olds are still in college. And I think people forget that to where... It used to be the year three breakout. You used to have those dyna the, those fantasy football articles that would just outline who's going into year three. And then it used to be, well, you know, some guys go into year four. And now if you're breaking out in year three, you're late. You're late for dinner. You know, and year two is like, I guess I'll accept that as a possible answer and outcome. But year one, I I, I really think it's spoiled social media 
the the sharing of information, the hot stove of we have a different wide receiver one in dynasty every week, and on who's who's hot, uh, and we're playing DFS over here, right? I mean, I think DFS and all these things are filtrating our thoughts in dynasty when it's a long range game. You're drafting these guys, you're putting them on your bench, and you're developing them to be future starters and impact for your, guys for your team. It's a it's interesting to see the dynamic of like what you said. You know, eight nine hundred yards is a nice round one wide receiver rookie season, and now it's like. Tuh, you're wide receiver six of the class. Get in line. Like I'm, I'm selling you. You know, I, I want to get Kadarius Tony. I want to reset that clock. Insulate myself. Interesting thoughts. You're hoping Kadarius Tony is just like. Think about that. Like when, if you make that switch, you're hoping in in order to break even. Kadarius Tony needs to put up almost 900 yards as a rookie. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. That that's that's what you're. That's what the move you made to break even. Essentially, that doesn't even seem like a good bet. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so a couple things that, that, that I jotted down because of your experience, you played defensive back and mm-hmm. you have actual Katie. I, I don't think I played, uh, I played flag football. <laughs> I played flag football. Uh, I was more the coordinator. I was an okay wide receiver, uh, but middling all around. You know, I ran a four eight four eight five. This was not good stuff. Wide receiver, that's unacceptable, even at the intramural level. Got toasted <laughs> a few times as DB. Um, but you wrote something down that I thought was pretty interesting and applicable for this year, which is game speed versus stopwatch. You know, that, that people live and die by 40 times. And this, guess what? There's going to be more quibbling this offseason than ever before about these pro days aren't real drills. They aren't real times. I need it to be in Indianapolis on, on ESPN, the Ocho, or I'm not going to believe it, right? So talk about game speed. And you've been on the field. You know game speed is different. You know, they talk about Jerry Rice and yeah. these other players. So talk about the stopwatch and training for something as like a final exam test of your athletic potential going through a process like this versus the actual look at him versus Oklahoma or against Notre Dame. Look at him on this. Look at how he actually performed and how fast he is on the field. Yeah, I mean, l- listen, just... It's exactly what it sounds like, right? It's stopwatch versus game speed. There are some players, and I know I, I don't know the, the scientific data how to technically say it, but when on, when they're on the field, they you you it's it's different. It's you're not running in a straight line, unimpeded. the The environment is different from from a test to to actual the game. And some players they may move and play faster. You know, then then their 40 time would appear to be. And conversely, some players that can run really, really fast don't know how to translate that that straight line speed to actual football movements. Right. We always think about the ability for a player to accelerate, to move faster. Well, I also look at how quickly they can slow down and decelerate. So when you're talking about those wide receivers that are running comeback routes, yes, I can press you vertically down the field, but I can stop just as quickly on a dime, turn around and catch the ball. And some of that stuff you can't, you can't measure. You may not be able to coach that. There are tons of fast wide receivers and NFL players that did not pan out in the NFL or for fantasy. So for me, I'm focused on how players look on the field, in the game. And there are times when, you know, and it, think about Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry ran a 4-5-40 yard dash. I think it was a 4-5-4. Extremely impressive for somebody that's 250 pounds. But I literally can't name one time where Derrick Henry's been run down from behind. And he isn't a 4-2, 4-3 guy. He's breaking 80, 90-yard runs. And I have never seen him caught from behind. So, I mean, you mean to tell me 4-5 is the fastest on that field? So, I'm just saying game speed for me, just listen, I've seen how fast you are when you play. And, yeah, the 40 time can help confirm some things that I already thought, but you know, I know Nashi Harris isn't a four three guy. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, the one thing with wide receivers I wanted to I wanted to ask you about specifically because you've been there and done that is the thing I notice about the great ones is either, you know, their contested catch ability, but what I find, and you get to see this at the senior bowl and some of the one on run reps and in games, of course, is that when it's if you're even, you're leaving. You know, that mentality that when you are you might have half a step, you might have one foot in front of the defensive back down the sideline, let's say. And then when the ball is arcing down the final path of the pass that you see the separation occur and they end up, it's the last two or three steps before the ball. So is that more of a, my ball, like 
the ball here. I'm tracking the ball. Here it comes over my shoulder and I got to catch up full extension. I've got to catch up to the ball and you actually find a new speed. Or is that you're almost rope-a-dope and slow playing the defensive back of like, you? I want you to be, I'm running at 85% and I'm going to juice it to 92%, you know, for that last little bit, because that's going to be separation that he thinks he's in my pocket. And now he's not. I find that the really good receivers do that all the time. It's the late separation where we saw that with Cooper Cup, Katie, we, that he was running these routes. And it's like he is not a quote unquote fast wide receiver, but his nuances were so good at this late separation that you would look up. Okay. He's even, okay. He's an average guy for 10 yards, but then the late separation, the tracking, and all of a sudden he has two yards of separation at the point of the catch and he's going into the end zone on these reps. So like from a defensive back perspective, is that, am I onto something or is that just a mystical, eye magic trick that I'm seeing. No, it happened. It's you hit on something, but we can't, there's no way to like measure that or quantify it. You know what I mean? And because you can't quantify something, it's hard for people to believe that it's anything other than hogwash. But what you're saying is absolutely true. There are times where you see these and, and it works both ways too. It works both ways, Chad. Some defensive backs have that burst just to break on the ball when they're even with the wide receiver. And it is just that thing where, you know, you're operating at 95 and then, you know, you have to go get it and you just get that extra little burst and, you know, you're able to burst and, and create that separation. And it also, if people really broke down film, like really studied what wide receivers do, there are so many small subtleties that they do in order to create just to, Literally, I know it sounds crazy, inches of separation, hand movement, body lean, you know, just different little tactics that they, they, you know what I mean? A little tug on the defensive back's jersey, hand fighting. Like they do so many things in order to create just a smidge of separation because that's all it, that's all you really need in, in a game that's played like this. So, yeah, you're, you're definitely on to something. It's just how do we how do we track that? How do we grade that? How do we measure that? It's. We can't, but yes, you are absolutely right. And so that's one of the things that I noticed most about a guy like Devonta Smith. He's not the biggest guy out there. He's not the most physical guy out there. But the one thing that he does have, he can fake his hips, which I know that you would appreciate as a defensive back. You're trained to look at the midsection because most people can't fake that part of their body. Devonta Smith can, he can sell his route and get that separation with his hips, with his feet. He acceleration and deceleration for him is right there. And then he's got great hands as well. Which college wide receiver trait translates the best in the NFL in your mind? Is it the separation? Is it the physicality? Like pick one trait that a wide receiver has that you think translates the best into the pros. Hmm. Ah, I'd have to say line of scrimmage release work. Those wide receivers that that can can release off of the line of scrimmage in the face of press man coverage, and and that people the misconception is press man. You have to be physical in order to beat press man. That's one way that you can defeat that coverage. Another way is having exceptional footwork and release skills and. If you watch Devonta Smith off the line of scrimmage, if you listen to other coaches in the SEC talk about defending him, they were terrified because you can't get, I mean, he's just, he's a savant off of the line. He's not the greatest route runner, okay? Jerry Judy did run really good routes, like he does. He, he's a phenomenal route runner. Devonta Smith isn't that level of technician, but Katie, you hit the nail on the head. His ability to manipulate defensive backs with his hips he does this thing where he gets off the line and shoulder rolls into his route. That way, you know, you can't get a clean, clean press on him. It's, it's, it's unparalleled. And that's one of the reasons why one of my players that I touted last year struggled a lot. Jalen Rager couldn't release. He couldn't defeat that off of the line, right? It took him a while to get acclimated to that. You just don't see Devonta Smith get manhandled at all. He's just, I think that trade, if you can do that, you're already one step up at the next level. If you can, if you don't have to worry about that, I think that gives you a step up. Now, football IQ and other things go into play, but release work off the line of scrimmage is the one trait for me. 
That uh, you mentioned Jalen Rager, and that was going to be someone I asked you about. Um, and it sounds like that may be your answer, which is going back to the 2020 class. You know, is there someone that you had really high expectations, or maybe really low expectations, and and you've re- either you've reversed course, or they have shown so far maybe the opposite of what you oh, expected yeah. to see through one year. So. Is there someone that you're still holding out hope for? How quickly do you kind of change your tune or evaluation on a player? How sticky of the pre-draft through the first year, maybe through the second year, uh, until you really start making adjustments when that sample size grows? Yeah, I think second year. First year, you can't... The ones that perform exceptionally, then you just you give them a stamp for this season, like the Justin Jeffersons of the world. The ones who didn't, uh, Jalen Rager, I give them... I give every wide receiver like a pass in their first year. I don't expect them to come in and do what Justin Jefferson did. That's real unrealistic expectations. But by year two, we should start seeing you take significant steps forward in being whether you're going to be the guy or the number two. We should be able to see that by the end of this coming season around us three, we should be able to sit back and say, if he's going to hit, we should all be like, yeah, Rager's a good wide receiver. He's solid. He may not be great, but we should be able to say he's a solid He's a solid piece on your roster. If we come back to this, this table a year from now and we're just asking, man, I, I don't know. It was like, now, now I'm panicking. Now there's a little bit of trouble after year two. And then by year three, I mean, you're, you're going to know, you know, the the Corey Davis, Devontae Parker breakouts are few and far between, but Rager was a player that I was wrong on from the high end. Uh, definitely thought his situ- situation didn't help him out. Philadelphia was a mess from top to bottom, as we've seen this offseason, but not going to make excuses. He played well in spurts and didn't play so well in others, so he was uh, one of the misses from the higher end. But one of the players that I was really low on that completely proved me wrong and I'm happy that I have him in some dynasty leagues is Chase Claypool. I I did not foresee this type of dominance from him outside this early. Not at all. I mean, and it's Chad, Katie, I know you've seen it through your years in Debbie, just players that you kind of watched in college and were like, yeah, he's okay. And then they go to the NFL and they just turn into something completely different. Like I, I did not see this from Chase Claypool. I knew he was big. I knew he was fast, but even at Notre Dame, I just, okay, it's Chase Claypool. I don't even think he had a thousand yard season. He was okay. But now he looks like he's a legitimate candidate to be a top 15, top 12 dynasty wide receiver. I mean, was wrong on that one. I know a lot of, a lot of people were too, but I was definitely a Chase Claypool hater. Yeah, that's one thing. I think you hit on the the important point, which is when someone starts doing the things that Claypool did as a rookie, which you already mentioned, not commonplace for a wide receiver in their first year. And that was one thing. I don't think I had any shares of Claypool, which I think going back, lessons learned. I think I recorded a show on it at some point about you know player, certain players can teach you things. He's boom bust. He was a boom bust prospect. That size, that movement, that testing. But like you said, I mean, never put it together for production wise. I mean, you had Miles Boykin that came out, and you know you've had these guys before. You know, uh, Javon McKinley, right, is another one, the big, supersized wide receiver out of Notre Dame. We've seen this story before, and they they just haven't produced. There's reason for that systematically but but yeah like when they produced it what he did then auto- automatically you have to kind of be into a certain point you don't have to necessarily be above the market you don't necessarily have to have them at x point in your rookie drafts but you have to adjust because that's not common so the fact that he came in and did that he's on a new spectrum or platform of possibilities now Unfortunately, usually boom bust stays with you, that moniker. So does the does it burn out, you know, after a couple of years, three years, or you know, does he get on a different platform? Does he never quite get all the way home and he's like a top five to ten producer in the NFL? Who knows about those things? But I know being a guy with his movement ability, the fact that he was like a late second or third round rookie pick should have been all the indicators. You mentioned about Anthony Schwartz, right? You know, miss fast or, you know, miss big and fast. You know, if you're these late shots of like, what could it be? I think Chase Claypool is a really good example for myself of just when the, this, we're not, we weren't talking, oh, you got to draft him over Judy and Lamb and Rager and like mid first round. That's what we're not what we're talking about. Like he was fading way back. So just take a big, a big hairy shot, right? I mean, just, just get in there and say, hey, this could be something magical. And even the pop, even if he, if he, even if he just pops for one big game and you're not expecting 40 PPR points, but <laughs> if he pops off, 
all of a sudden now you have a lot of options that are way better than 210 or 302. Um, and you really don't have that. I mean, is it really possible that you're going to get that perfect storm and have the appeal of someone like Anthony McFarland or, you know, I'm thinking of, or Cole Komet, like the odds of you getting a pop like that when Chase Claypool could just, you know, monster someone and have yeah. a long touchdown. And that might be all you need, you know, three for a hundred and a touchdown week four of his rookie season. And now someone's willing to pay a first for him. And I think that story is probably with those other examples, a little harder to tell. So I, I definitely learned a lot from Chase Claypool. Now, the problem is you can't correct and be like, oh, well, now we have an exact Clay- Chase Claypool clone this year, and I can spend 301 and correct all my, my, my misfires you know, from a, a, the previous year. He might come along in five years, but we just have to remember. We have to remember that profile uh, that's a rare one uh, to really get on board with and not make that same mistake. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you said it beautifully. That's, that's, it really was a lesson learned with Claypool. I mean, that's it's a better early third round investment than me the year I'm taking players like Darwin Thompson, like trading up for that archetype of player. You know what I mean? Like, yes, if you're going to miss, I said miss Pat fast, but you said it best, miss big and fast. That's if you're going to take that shot. Is there a running back this year that's that's way down, you know, that that could be that miss fast, miss big, take a big wild swing, probably going to go day three, you know, like, is there is there someone that that from what you're watching and from your early ranks here that you say, this could be my guy, you know, round three, round four. I just yeah. believe it. Like, who knows? He might go round seven or undrafted or or stinky situation. But beyond those factors, I just, you know, I think that that something's here. Yeah, one of my favorite sleeper running backs, and he is going to be a day three pick. I, I wholeheartedly believe that in rookie drafts, probably late third, early fourth. But Louisiana running back Elijah Mitchell, I'm a big fan of Mitchell. He's not the fastest running back, but he does have that prototypical size at 5'11". I think he's about 215, 220. 1,100-yard um, rusher in his junior season at Louisiana, sharing the backfield with another talented rusher. He does it all. He can catch the ball. He's got the size. He's got the production. He was at the Senior Bowl. He's been my kind of comparison to if we're going to get a James Robinson out of this class, a guy that's drafted in day three. Mitchell will be drafted. He won't be undrafted a la James Robinson. But if we're going to get that type of player, I think uh, uh, Elijah Mitchell is that guy. Let's uh, switch it over to wide receiver, back to wide receiver, but this time, Debbie. Who would be your number one Debbie, any class can be uh, anybody. Who are you going with? Oh, Katie, you got you to gotta make me pick this year because I want to talk about the 2022 guy. Can I just go my number one wide receiver like in 2022? That's, that's, that's a Debbie player. So, yeah. Okay. Well, my, one of my favorite players, Katie, favorite. I just I love him. Traylon Burks out of Arkansas is, is an absolute monster that kid is a unit uh the fact that he returned punts at that size just the dynamic ability uh 5xl gloves insane production as a freshman and as a sophomore in a horrible arkansas easy now quarterback led team <laughs> quarterback led team quarterback led. We, we gotta get some consistency at the quarterback right i know you got a young kid there jefferson is there i think uh, uh malik is it hornsby is the uh Yep, they got some talent, but Felipe Franks and whoever he was catching the ball from weren't the best. But Traylon Burks, he's 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 incredible. I think he's the I think he is the second coming of Josh Gordon without the off the field issues. He's that good. He's that talented, and I think that if he played on any other team besides Arkansas, we'd all be talking about him because he is big, he is fast, he is dynamic and athletic. He is he's one of my favorite wide receivers in Debbie right now. And the funny thing about it, you, do you remember who was actually the first wide receiver noticed and being taken in all Debbie drafts as a freshman and Traylon Burks was a, was like second fiddle? Who was it? You got me. He, stopped, was, hurt. he was hurt a lot of last year. He had a good freshman season. You talking about Pickens? No, uh, Trey Knox on the same. On oh, the Knox. Trey Knox. Oh, yeah. Trey Knox. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so hopefully, I mean, it would be nice to see both of them healthy. And they, uh, I'm not sure who the quarterback, they just started spring practice today, so I'm not sure who's going to win that quarterback job, but uh, definitely an upgrade just overall. Um, yeah. I've heard that the recruits for the offensive line, there isn't any under 300 pounds 
So they got some hogs. They're going to go hog wild. But yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I love that pick on Traylon Burks. He's incredible. And 2022 wide receivers, I mean, it's pretty contested, you know, that, that you could tell a story right now, you know, 12 months removed from the draft process for a lot of them, that there's, there's five, six, seven of them that if you say uh, next March, April, they are considered at this point in the process, the wide receiver one or, you know, a top 10, 15 pick in the NFL draft wouldn't really be surprised, you know, with where they sit today. Um, so we normally don't have that. I think normally the pool is a lot smaller from who could it be um, between Justin Ross, you know, coming back, let's see about his medicals or George Pickens or David Bell or Traylon Burks or, you know, Garrett Wilson, for example, you know, you know does he put it together and produce a lot more this coming year. So there's a number of guys. It, it's pretty interesting, but yet there isn't that one bulletproof, you know, that they were kind of waiting on them a year out. Can they just get here already? Uh, which I find pretty fascinating. Uh, on the Debbie running back front, um, what are some of the things you're looking for, you know, in it for, because we gravitate, we, we've crunched a lot of numbers. I mean, Debbie running back is what you want to look for just in general. Formats can shift that. If it's overly deep, you start looking heavily towards other positions eventually. But at Debbie running back, if it's only a year sample size, or even if some of these players, you haven't even seen much of them on the college stage, what's sort of your early eval process for limited sample committee guys or one-year sample size players that are still evolving and still on college college landscape? Yeah, part of me wants to say this is this is an easy answer because I just want to be like, I mean, you kind of know the teams, right? If if you've got this a freshman running back at the University of Texas that starts to play well, he's going to get notarized, and people are in these talented. We're going to, I mean, we were fawning over Keontae Ingram a couple of years ago, and I think Bijan Robinson is infinitely better than Keontae Ingram. But the part of the psychology of of I think sports in general, and I did a thesis on this in college, it's what we see, and we're going to see the Alabama running backs, we're going to see the Auburn running backs. We're going to see the University of Texas running backs. So, you know, I'm looking for those talented running backs that go to those schools that I get an opportunity to actually watch play. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Chad. That's what we want. But goodness, we see their value change. Look at Max Borgie. I mean, I was in multiple Debbie startups, Debbie leagues. You couldn't get Max Borgie after the 110. Like, I mean, he, he was going top six, top seven, top eight. And in one offseason, he went from a, you know, a top first round Debbie pick to I don't even see Max Borgie. He may go undrafted in a Debbie league right now. And that's just that's the beauty of Debbie. And that's also why sometimes you got to know which which players to trade off of. I traded Joe Milton real quick after that first Michigan game because, you know, you've got to know when to move those players in Debbie. It's a whole different layer, but um my early eval process, I'm looking for the kids who play early at the in these bigger conferences or if they're at smaller conferences, how dominant are they early? I'll tell you one thing that I'm learning, uh, just to tack on to what you said, is I'm learning that these guys that are high four-star and five-star running backs – that if they're sitting there and they're good players, you know, they have the build, they have the profile. And I'm looking at you, Brian Robinson, there at Alabama, that we've been waiting on him for, I think he's 29 years old now, unconfirmed. (laughs) But, you know, the fact that he hasn't been the guy doesn't mean he can't play. You know, and I think that's an important part. If you're sitting there at Georgia or Alabama, just pointing two out that, or an Ohio State may be turning into this, you know, that they have just a pipeline, two, three, four guys. And if they don't transfer... First of all, they could transfer to 75, 80% and just walk in and be the 1A and start producing. But they want to work. They want to be in that competitive environment. And I just think that it's, gonna, it's really easy to look at guys like that in Debbie and be like, well, they haven't produced, but hey, you were behind Najee Harris. That's not really like the worst thing to say you can't play. Like, not many guys get to be multi year starter at those programs. And so, I've, what I found is the Josh Jacobs theory almost is if you have a quality player that's on that depth chart, maybe they're seeing a little bit of time, they're in a rotation, but just not the guy, they still, in the late rounds of your Debbie draft, might be the best guy, as opposed to going out to, you know, in the periphery of power five or group of five of, oh, this guy's a multi-year starter. Are they really going to have a lot of NFL appeal? 
at running back, it's it's a little more far fetched to tell that story. It really is uh, because they weren't a big recruit. Recruiting matters for running back. The big guys go to big programs generally. So all these things at running back, it really is about refining the process. And I'm I'll tell you, just I'm less sensitive to the. We would love early production and some guys do, and those become the really easy picks to make when they check all of these things. But if you leave that out, if you got a guy with the NFL look physically and they're a pretty good athlete, a good recruit, they're at a big program, and whether they transfer or not, they still are a guy that they might be better in the NFL than in college. Why? Because now they're actually getting some opportunity. Maybe they weren't one B ever on their depth chart. And that's okay. It just means they weren't as good as that guy and the five star that's coming in every year, seemingly in Alabama. And one of the things I'd like to add, and it's in Debbie, it's the wild West. And if you miss on a guy like B. John Robinson, don't pout. It's okay. Just find the next B. John Robinson before he's even a thing he he wasn't the biggest guy. He was 190 pounds. He had to put on a little bit of weight. But look at him in his second year, just like Saquon Barkley was nothing. Nobody cared about him his freshman season at Penn State. But then he hit the weight rooms and he has a great work ethic and put up a good freshman season. And then, boom, it was Saquon Barkley. So you can always, with the depth of players on all the rosters in all of the world, in all of college football, the world of college football, you can always find someone else. Uh, so Ray, uh, we're closing up shop. Uh, final thoughts from you. So we always like to have you know some some advice to the global listenership. You know, so what is on your mind? We obviously can't cover everything. We did cover about twenty questions to open the show. Uh, that seems like a while ago uh, in the rapid fire section. So you already distilled a lot of of knowledge dropping in this episode. But what's something? If it's a project you're currently working on, is there a player that we did not discuss? Maybe it's a freshman coming into the college. Uh, but but what would be some some good advice for folks to close out here in your final thoughts? Nothing. Nothing personal, like work related, but I think some really good advice for everyone listening is I would recommend you participate in a Debbie league. I think it just, it really, it truly makes you think about dynasty in a completely different direction. If you love rookie picks, like if you love rookie picks, that's your thing, you'll absolutely fall in love with Debbie. I mean, if you, if you play Debbie, it, it just changes that. But even if you don't, if you don't want to take on that commitment, you don't really know a lot of the college games, you don't, you don't know all of that stuff, then if you want to get a leg up in Dynasty, and I say this all the time, Dynasty is a game of chess, not checkers. Like The goal is to build a team that's competitive in the short term and long term. So even if you don't participate in Debbie, follow people who do. Just pay attention to those people who are involved in the Debbie space that are watching the college game. Because if you know about Traylon Burks in 2022 and you know about players like Kayshawn Boutte in 2023 and you know that Brock Vandergriff is coming in in 2024 the more you know about these players depending on how your dynasty team is formatted you can start while everybody is going crazy over 2021 you can start acquiring 2023 picks 2022 first because you know that the wide receiver class is loaded you know that in 2023 Everything is loaded from top to bottom. Like while your league mates are going crazy over 2021 seconds and thirds, trade them. And I know you think it's crazy. I have been in dynasty rookie drafts where people are trading first round future picks for a third rounder because they have to get that sleeper Ramondre Stevenson. They have to get uh, Jalen Darden. They have to get these players and they'll do whatever in order to move up in a rookie draft. So the more you know about these college players, a year or two in advance, the better you can position your team for long and short-term success. So play Debbie or follow people who follow the college game. Well said. Uh, so where can they find you, Ray? Uh, what are you working on? And uh, again, it, they just heard uh, a little taste of you on this show. So where can they hear more of your dulcet tones uh, with podcasting, <laughs> the written word, and, uh, and rankings and all of that? Where can they find you? Yeah, so follow me on Twitter at RayGQ. Destination Debbie on YouTube, podcast, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Uh, exclusive stuff. I don't have a website or anything like that. So patreon.com forward slash all gas. And this week, I'm actually like taking a week off. I don't feel like doing anything. No podcast, no 
YouTube video. I just I just need a break. I don't feel like doing anything. And when you're kind of run your own show, you can do that. So I'll be back like next week or the week after that. But I just sometimes I just you we should all take time for our mental space, man. It's important. It's it's very important. I've cut back on the Twitter. Uh, I've stopped arguing and cursing people out. Uh, it just wasn't good for my mental space. Like take some time for yourself. Get your mental right. Sounds very mature of you. And and what I love about you can press record five times in one day when you're doing your own thing or zero and you can take the whole weekend off, the whole week off. Uh, because it's all about what I always say is do it when you feel like it. You know, and when you're inspired, just like a writer or whatever, you know, you'll do it a lot. You might do it for half a day, you know, just doing a batching a bunch of stuff. Uh, and but that's when you're most inspired and that's when you're gonna be at your best. Um and and from all the things I've consumed on your YouTube channel, et cetera, uh getting the best of Ray is what you want. So if he needs a, a week to to decompress and what I love is what you said is, you know, getting into fist fights, virtual fist fights on Twitter. I learned that years ago. Uh, there's not really a lot of good, and you know, it's not productive. It's not productive at all. Um, Katie, you've been on a number of things. You're doing some mock drafting. You've been on a few podcasts of recently. Uh, what, where can folks find you beyond this episode? Beyond this episode, I've been a uh, semi-regular, mostly regular on a podcast called uh, Off the Rails with Jeremy Brown. And I've been fortunate that uh, the diva of Debbie, I've been on a lot of Debbie shows lately. I've, I did a Debbie mock last weekend. I'm going to be doing a rookie mock this weekend with John Laub and Matt Hicks. And uh, just I'm booked already through mid-April, which I think is awesome. I love talking football. So just follow me on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. And I'm always retweeting um, not just my stuff, but other people that I've gotten to know well in the industry. I am very happy to know Ray and his love of Debbie. I absolutely echo that getting into the college game really helps your love and appreciation and gets you ready knowing which classes are stronger. So it's great to have you, Ray. And uh, back to you, Chad. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And again, no ads on this show. So you get to hear this whole thing straight through. Uh, no advertisements. But if you do want to support it beyond uh, beyond listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff, become a general manager plus subscriber over at UTHDynasty.com. Premium podcast recently. Uh, we recorded them last week. Just came out with uh, Katie and myself recording uh, player spotlight shows. We just released Kadarius Tony, uh, Rashad Bateman, Kyle Pitts. They get their own standalone shows. We do veterans. We do rookies for the upcoming class. Standalone, 8, 12, 15 minutes, whatever it takes uh, to properly cover the player and their dynasty value and, and scouting them on field and off. Um, so those are our, our ways to give back. And patreon.com slash UTH, again, uh, instead of ad spot. You can just go over there and support it for a few bucks a month. Tim Torch is on there doing a weekly show with me. We do some VIP stuff. There's a chat room, a bunch of exclusive features you can't find anywhere else. So thanks once again to Ray for coming on, sharing his time and talents, Katie Flower as well. I am Chad Parsons. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. Royce Freeman, no, no, no.